The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Laura and I would like to wish each of you the merriest of Christmases. We look at each of you and we see our family. Thank you for being with us. And man, this is what Christmas Eve in Hagerstown looks like, huh? Man. And hey, this is the only service I'm saying this, all right? So this is a disclaimer. All right, heads up. I saved a lot in the tank because I didn't know how much I would need to have for our seventh service. And so I have a lot in the tank, so I have every intention of putting it all on the field right now. All right, like I'm going to leave. All right. And I see that with our team, man. Like, we are just so grateful that you're here. We love you. Now, now let me be direct, because um, while we wish you a Merry Christmas, it's not always a Merry Christmas. What's troubling you? What's worrying you? What's robbing your rest and stealing your sleep and keeping you up late at night? Now, whether you're ready to be honest with me right now, I'll be honest with you. I think we all have a challenge with vulnerability and somebody has to go first. So let me share the string of my worries over the years of thinking back to when we first moved to Hagerstown when Laura was pregnant with our second daughter and we had no health insurance. And so we had no idea how we were gonna pay for her birth, let alone uh, for avoiding getting prenatal care for a couple of months because we didn't know how we would take care of it. And that worried us and it troubled us and we had no idea what we were gonna do. And then I fast forward to the birth of our fourth child, little Daniel, who was born over a month premature. And within an hour of him being born, the doctors had rushed him into the NICU and were trying to putting tubes and needles and all kinds of stuff into him. And you know, as a parent, you sit there helpless. I mean, what can you do? My wife's recovering from surgery and I'm there staring at my little boy in an incubator with all kinds of contraptions hooked up to him thinking what's gonna happen next. And of course the doctors have to give you worst case scenarios and so in my mind all I can do is let my worries build to fear and worst case scenarios and then just recently uh, my oldest daughter and I, we went out and we ran the uh, Baltimore Half Marathon, and we finished, just throwing that out there. Uh, hey, thank you. So, so I know something about keeping a little in the tank. And so, because you know, you gotta, you gotta finish strong, but my, my daughter, even though we finished, she didn't finish strong. I had no idea that about a mile before we finished, she had severely fractured her hip. Yes, my daughter finished a half marathon with a fractured hip. That's crazy. All right. So, so yes, I know, we're nuts as a family. But uh, so uh, the next day I bring her to the urgent care and they have the x-ray and the doctor brings me in. I'm looking at this x-ray and I'm going, uh-oh, uh-oh. Laura's gonna kill me. What have I done? How do I go home and explain to my wife? Yeah, yeah, and because of me, I inspired my daughter to run this half marathon and now, you know, I don't know what we're gonna do. And so she comes home on crutches and my wife is horrified and immediately, you know, we start worrying and Rebecca's trying to calm us down. Mommy, daddy, it's gonna be okay. I'm gonna be fine, I'm gonna be all right. You know, I mean, while she's hobbling around the house and we're like, you don't know enough to worry. Right, like we're worried about, is she gonna walk again? You know, is she gonna be able to dance? Is she gonna miss her, her dance recital later, in, you know, this year? And, um, and, then we, and then my wife, of course, she's thinking far crazier thoughts like, you know, is Rebecca gonna be okay? Is she gonna be able, you know, her, it's her hip. Is she gonna be able to, you know, have children? I'm, 
Like as soon as you say her having children, I'm worried about very different reasons. Uh, you know, unless this is the immaculate conception, there's no babies ever. So anyway, but you know, here, here's the thing. Those are the things I'm willing to tell you I'm worried about. And because uh, there's a lot of things that you and I, we, we, we don't even want to think about, let alone worrying about and let alone talking about. And, and so, you know, they put out this uh, report of a survey they do every year in America. They, they survey us and they find out what are our top worries? What are our top fears? So you, so you wanna know what is worrying the people sitting next to you? Here it is, let me give you the list. Uh, number one, the top fear in America is that we fear a corrupt government. And that has been number one for a couple years running now. Uh, number two, terrorist attacks. And if, you look, if you've been watching the news over the last uh, week and a half, there's good reason for that to be on our minds. And then number three, we fear running out of money. And number four, we fear the death of someone we love. And I would imagine as I begin to go down that list, you're hearing that and you're going, yep. That pegs at least a few of my fears. I was thinking about that list. I thought, no wonder we're stressed out. We are carrying the weight of the world like worry on our shoulders. We're weighted down. So I wanna, I wanna introduce you to a, a moment of history, a story of a nation where our worries were their reality. The, the nation uh, had gone through a civil war and so the nation became divided into two different countries. The, the northern nation was called Israel and the southern portion was called Judah. Judah is where the, the capital city and its temple were in Jerusalem. And uh, unfortunately, history went from bad to worse and Israel was wiped out by the world power of its time, Assyria went and decimated the nation and took many of its citizens into exile, leaving the cities in ruins and the countryside in shambles. And then, if that wasn't bad enough, the king, a good and godly king of Judah died. Uzziah died and in his place, a young novice Ahaz took over as king. And during that point in history, inevitably what would happen is anytime there was a turnover of leadership, the nations around that country would begin to test his capacity. And so uh, Assyria decided they would begin to pillage the countrysides and begin to wreak havoc in the nation. And Assyria mounted another war effort against Judah now. And along with them, two other nations allied their forces together to come and fight against Judah. And so imagine the situation. Imagine this was your situation. You live in a nation where your king has died, a new ruler has come to power, so there's this massive shift of transition in politics. A, no, a young ruler who is a novice to leadership, a guy who nobody quite knows exactly how he's gonna lead and what to expect from his administration. Financial crisis looms on the horizon and armies are mounting forces on the countrysides. The people rightly are worried and in the midst of that national crisis, God raises up a pastor, a, a prophet. His responsibility was to speak and tell people what God was saying, but more than just telling people what God was saying, to foretell what God was going to do. His name was Isaiah and he preached and he spoke and then he took all of those sermons that he shared and he put them into a book, a book that got passed down throughout history and included 
in sacred history because it's not just the story of mankind, but the story of how God interacts with man. And we have access to those writings today. It's actually in the Bible. It's called the book of Isaiah. And in Isaiah's book, chapter eight, verse 22, he describes the sentiment of the season this way. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. Kind of captures the sentiment of our seasons. When our thoughts turn to worry and our worry becomes a darkness that clouds our thinking and covers our emotions. And then there's this fear and this feeling that this darkness within is gonna become an utter darkness forever. But God's response to a people in distress and fearful gloom was this, as it continues, you read just a few verses later, Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, where the prophet says, for unto us a child is born and to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. What a promise, a promise that pierces the darkness and transcends time, a promise given 2,700 years ago that applies practically to our lives today. How? Because you and I can be invited and challenged to apply this one thought that we can experience the peace of God. Imagine, imagine whatever's troubling you was transformed into peace. Imagine what was worrying you, the weights of the world bearing down on your shoulders were lifted by a God who gave you peace. Now when you think of peace, like me, this is what we often think about. We think of world peace, where nations start getting along and the way they do that is peace treaties, where they agree to get along. And if you're not really caught up in all the global issues, maybe you're just thinking peace means that everybody in your house is gonna get along during the holidays, right? That, you know, Uncle Joe isn't gonna say that obnoxious thing he always says to your great aunt and all the kids are gonna get along and not kill each other. And at the very least, they'll say the right thing when they open the presents and act like they're grateful. <laughs> peace. And what we, so what we think is this, it's a calmness in the circumstances around us. But what's interesting about our image of peace is that it's wrong because you and I both know that no matter what the circumstances around us, you could be on vacation at the beach, you could be enjoying the sun, basking in the beauty of the moment. I, did you see, I just went there. I was like, Phew. Some of you are like, thank you, Jesus. All right. What's interesting is you could be there and your heart racing and your mind racing and you're, you're experiencing a turmoil in your thoughts because that peace has nothing to do with the circumstances around you and everything to do with what's going on inside of you. And the reality is that you and I have a war raging within us, desires that conflict emotions that are wildly out of control. The problem is not the circumstances. The problem with our lack of peace is an inner issue, an inner war. Why? Because what biblical authors call sin, 
I know it's uncomfortable to even say, but here's what it means. Sin is this instinct you and I all have, an instinct that drives us away from God and makes us believe that we are God's. Rather than living to please God, we live to pursue our own passions and pleasures, and that pursuit is driven by sin, sin that sabotages peace, sin that sabotages our best intentions, sin that overwhelms any good that we might do with an inner darkness. And sin, it rocks our world, it devastates our emotions and our mind, it devastates our spiritual well-being because sin cuts us off from relationship with God, it causes turmoil in our homes and devastates our neighborhoods, destroys our nation, and sin is at the root of everything causing crisis in the world around us today. The worst part of sin is not even all of that, it's that you and I live our lives on a trajectory toward an eternal suffering as the ultimate payment for that sin. But God, unwilling to leave the people he loves, destined for an eternity without him, intervened in our story and pierced the darkness. And the prophet Isaiah foretold that moment with a beautiful imagery in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. He said, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. A light some of you, your, little, your kids are holding little lights right now. And I don't know if I can even get this lit, but here's the deal. A light. Metaphorically a light that spiritually ignites life in us. 700 years before the time of Jesus, the prophet foretold that he would come. And when Jesus came, his friends and followers, they saw him as that light. One of those friends, a guy named John, who, who witnessed the life of Jesus, heard the teachings of Jesus, was there when he was crucified and met him when he was resurrected. John, late in life, set out to write a book of the story capturing the moments of Jesus' life. And that's, that book was passed down through history and became also part of the Bible called the gospel or the good news according to John. And in his book, John chapter one, verse four and five, he poetically writes about the moment of Jesus coming and becoming one of us. He writes it this way. When he, what came into existence was life and the life was light to live by. The life light blazed out of the darkness the darkness could not put it out. Jesus entered into our darkness as life light and no darkness could put it out. And what would that look like when this Prince of Peace entered into our world to bring light to the darkness? Well, once again, Isaiah pictured it this way. He described what it would mean for the Prince of Peace to come and bring light into our world, he says this in Isaiah 9, verse six and seven, and the government will be on his shoulders of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And the prophet was looking very far ahead, not just 700 years to the time of Jesus, not just 2,700 years to this moment today, but far past our moment into eternity. And he was describing what it would look like when God rules as king over all eternity. When God would set up his eternal throne 
and establish a geopolitical rule, his kingdom over all the universe, over all creation. And he's describing it as God taking all of the governments and putting them on his shoulders, taking every injustice and making it right, making every pain healed and wiping every tear. And that's a moment we all anticipate and we look forward to and we believe that that's when we'll find peace. But what we may not realize is that God's kingdom is not just waiting for us, it can grow within us. He's actually also describing that you and I can be part of God's kingdom right now. How? Because God's kingdom wants to grow invisibly within us. And with his kingdom, we allow the Prince of Peace to rule our lives. Now, what would it look like for you to experience the Prince of Peace today? Well, this prophet Isaiah explained how that would be possible. He looked ahead to the coming of Jesus, and he explained the event as though it had already happened this way. In Isaiah 53, verse 5, he said, but we were, he was pierced, the Prince of Peace, pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. What does this mean? It means that if we are going to experience the peace of God, we have to first have peace with God. Here's the reality. You and I live our lives feeling and fearing that God is against us, that he's looking over our shoulder, accumulating all of our wrongdoing and just waiting for the moment when he will unleash his judgment against us. When you go through life feeling like God is a judge waiting to drop his gavel on your life, you and I know no peace. Feel like we're absent of an inner spiritual peace, but the story doesn't end there. No, Jesus came to earth for the express purpose of taking the eternal death sentence that was awaiting each one of us, and he put it on his shoulders. He carried the weight of the world to the cross where he died on our behalf as the payment for our sins so that when he died, he died once for all so that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith can be forgiven of their sins and given new life and given eternal life. Now imagine every moment of guilt and shame and trouble you've carried in your heart for the stuff you know you've done wrong. Imagine your slate was cleared and for the first time in your life you experienced peace with God. Knowing that God is not against you but God is for you and loves you. He is your prince of peace. He has brought peace between you and God the Father who lavishes his love on you and forgives you of sin and wants his spirit to enter into your spirit. Jesus didn't just die, he rose again. And in his resurrection, he conquered the power of death, which means we no longer have to fear death because we know that life doesn't end in death. Death ends in new life. And he not only conquered death, he conquered the grip of sin on our lives. And he also set us free from the fear of eternal judgment so that we know even when we die, we simply pass from this life to an eternal life rather than into eternal suffering, into eternal paradise with God forever. Now, when you begin to think about that, you know, I have peace with God, but not just peace with God. I have the spirit of God in me. 
And because I have the Spirit of God in me, I can join in the chorus of the angels who sang and celebrated at the birth of Jesus Christ. And it's recorded in Luke chapter 2, verse 15, where the angels began to sing, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Did you catch that? God brings peace to people on whom he has placed his favor. Check it out. Anybody who believes in Jesus Christ by faith has peace with God, which means they've received the favor of God resting on them. And now you don't just have peace with God. You have peace that comes from God. Check this out. You can experience the peace of God. The peace of God in the middle of the troubling circumstances you're going through in the middle of a terrible and frightening diagnosis, in the middle of debt and despair and fearing death and all the troubles that circulate around you, you can experience the peace of God in the middle of it. Let me, let me give you a how-to. There's this guy. He had told people his whole life about Jesus. He was a pastor and a leader in the earliest church. His name was Peter, and at the end of his life, he was thrown in prison awaiting a death sentence in Rome. And Peter wrote letters to the people he loved and to the church. And in his first letter, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, he writes this, Give all of your worries to him, referring to the Prince of Peace, to Jesus, because he cares about you. What a thought that the God of the universe cares about you. And because he cares about you, because he is for you, because he loves you, you can give everything that's worrying you to him. How? Well, think about it like peeling back the layers of an onion. First, why don't you tell God what you want him to do? And then peel it back one more. Tell him why you want him to do that. Peel it back another layer and tell him what's worrying you, what's on your mind. And then peel it back another layer and tell him why that's worrying you. And as you begin to peel back the layers of your life and heart to God, you're praying. You're just sharing with God what's going on in your life. And when you share with God what's troubling you, you invite God into your circumstances and you welcome him to become the Prince of Peace in the midst of your troubles. And when you experience the Prince of Peace, you discover a peace that makes no sense to the people around you, but makes perfect sense in your spirit. You might not be able to explain it, but what you know is something deep inside of you that is calm beyond your circumstances. Now, wouldn't that be awesome to leave in just a few minutes with an overwhelming peace that the world cannot possibly understand. And when they look at your life and the trouble and the circumstances you're going through, they would look at it and go, that doesn't make any sense that you're so calm and that you have so much peace. Now, how can you and I receive that right now. Let me, let me speak to two different groups. First, if you're anything like me, you, you are in a moment at some point and you're here maybe like that right now where you know you do not have peace with God. Oh, you're doing all the religious things. I mean, you're here on Christmas Eve for crying out loud. I mean, you're doing the right thing, right? You're checking the religious box, but no matter what you do, you know you don't have peace with God. But you want that. You want to know that your sins are forgiven and guilt and shame is removed. And you're willing to make a commitment 
to receive Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, into your life as your Lord and welcome God's Spirit into your spirit. But you know it's gonna take a commitment. And so I'm gonna encourage you, would you make that commitment right now to others of you? You believe in Jesus? You're a Jesus follower? but you're letting the circumstances around you rob you of your inner peace, and you need to give those situations to God. So I'm gonna encourage all of you for a moment just to close your eyes. Be still for just a moment. I know your kids are gonna whack you in the head with their little lighted candle, and I know that you got somebody pulling at you right now, and, but just for a moment, quiet. Allow God's Spirit to speak to you. And if your first step right now to receive peace is to receive peace with God by believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I know you're here. I'm speaking to you. Why not receive the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ on this Christmas Eve? And if that's where you're at right now, can I encourage you just quietly, just slip your hand up high so I can see it. I just want you to say, yes, that's me. That's where I'm at right now. Would you just lift your hand up high and say, yes, that's me. Here's why I'm asking you to raise your hand, because we have, we have some individuals who are just going to quietly hand you a card, just privately hand you a card, and, and at some point, we're gonna, it's gonna, that card is going to give you next steps as you begin this new relationship with Jesus Christ. Just one more time, those of you that this is the decision you're making, you want peace with God, and you're putting your faith in Jesus Christ, would you just raise your hand high and say, yes, that's me. That's where I'm at right now. And if you have your hand raised, we would like to encourage you at the end of the service, there is a banner immediately to my left on the stage. It says, raised to life. And that's a statement that you are being raised to life right now. And we wanna talk with you. We have a team that would like to pray with you and encourage you as you begin this new relationship with God. Now for each one of you, whether you just raised your hand or you know you're a believer in Jesus, where do you need the peace of God? And I wanna pray for you. Jesus, thank you for your love, for dying on a cross and rising from the dead. Thank you that you are our Prince of Peace. And so, Lord, I pray right now that in a spiritual and powerful way, you begin to move across this room and even to those watching online and participating with us, God, that you would begin to flood their hearts with a peace that knows no boundaries, a peace that goes beyond the circumstances, a peace that is supernatural, a peace not based on political issues or government issues or armies or terror or our finances or life or death, a peace that comes from you alone. Would you bring peace, and would you be peace in this room right now? In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I challenge you, challenge some of you to receive the peace with God, and all of us to begin to experience the peace of God, but here's what happens. Jesus, that light that pierces through the darkness begins to fill our hearts right now. Some of you, when you slipped your hand up and you made that commitment to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, a light ignited within you, a spiritual light, a spiritual peace, but you become not just a carrier of peace, a bearer of light, you become a sharer of light. You don't just become a carrier of peace, you become a peace bearer, a peace maker. And so we are responsible to share the light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. 
And so you are responsible to take this light. And in just a moment, our team is going to spread this light around. And as you receive it, remember, you're receiving the light of God. And then you're responsible to pass that light on to others. So let's celebrate. Let's worship as we pass this light. Reminded that Jesus, his love and his peace is a light that pierces the darkness. Can I invite you also to stand with me right now? Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.